0: All right, please open in your word to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Let me read this passage to us first before I begin to make any comments on it. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We'll start reading in verse 24. I hope you guys, before I read this, I hope you don't ever take our gatherings here for granted. I know anytime you do something over and over and over and over again, it just becomes very familiar to us. But this is a meeting time that God had the idea to create and that is unique. And so God chooses to do unique things here that I think it's accurate for me to say He doesn't make available in other settings. Um, he could. But he chose that gathering together, preaching God's word, and his spirit dwelling uniquely among us would have an impact on us that's unique. And so I I want you to have faith for unique things. I appreciate some of you guys giving some some feedback when when we've had gatherings. I appreciate a couple of folks letting letting us know. There were two folks that were here last week who responded to God's word and got saved last week. So you you walked in, yeah. (laughs) Not, and it's just God is, is in the business of touching our lives. Our lives need him, right? Our lives are broken and we need God. And there's not a person here this morning who can say, hey, I'm, I'm the, where's the section that doesn't need God? Let me sit in that section. Right? You know, there is no section here that doesn't need God. And so we're here needing him and he's going to meet us this morning through his word. So let's listen carefully to this passage. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24, and I'm going to read into verse Chapter 10, because really the context spills over. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self control in all things, they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body. I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized in the Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Well, Lord, we are so grateful for truth and inspired living words that find their way to our lives in this hour With all that we're facing, with all that you've called us to be, we need your living word. We give our hearts to you this morning. Spirit of God, bring our hearts near to your word. Lord, the the problem is never with the seed, it's with the soil, Lord. So would you work in the soil of our hearts to receive from you today? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. There's some uh, there's some great stuff in this passage, and I'm going to take a, a, a I'm not going to say it's a strange approach to it, but it's I, I think it's a helpful approach to learn something from this passage. But one of the things that's here is a great illustration. You got this illustration about Olympic athletes. And so I'll just briefly touch on that just for a, a second. But then there's going to be this, this shift from the inspiration of athletics and talking about athletics as a great means of motivating us in the spiritual life, which is not a bad thing to do, and we can do that today. We got, some of us got our jerseys on today. We're, we're good for game day. So that's available to us as well. But then Paul's going to do something here. That, that I want to draw our attention to the techniques of scripture. I, I want to draw our attention to something that's going to travel to us, with us in the other passages. So when you read your Bible, I want us to see these things elsewhere. And I want them to have an impact on us. Not because we like these particular dynamics or don't like them really how we feel about some of the ways in which the bible speaks to us is irrelevant right if the the bible strokes us that might make us feel a certain way if the bible yells at us that might make us feel a different way right but do you recognize the bible does do both and more than that And my posture isn't to be one of, well, that's just not my personality, or I prefer, or I'd like to go to a church that sounds like, or that features these things from the Bible. Uh, That's not my call. I need what the Bible has to say, even when it's saying it in a way that might not be my favorite. So here's the awkward thing in this passage. This passage, if you will, is a, a quality control passage. It's Paul showing up to the Corinthians and saying, um, guys, let, you know, let, let, let's talk about excellence here. Let, let's talk about stepping your game up a little bit here. Let, let's bring this to championship level. That's the conversation he's having, having here. Now, I don't know how welcome that is in the church. That's very welcome in the sports world, though, isn't it? You know, how many guys, you tune in, you listen to the coach, and at the end of the game, you know, they just won. They just won the game. And the guy's explaining all the things they did wrong. We got room for improvement, you know, and and nobody listens to that go, man, what a condemning. What the heck's wrong with this guy? So negative. We all get it. In the sports world, we should want more, right? We should be excellent, right? Today's a special day in New Orleans, isn't it? This game's under our skin in a certain way. How come nobody was you know, cool with people just stepping forward at the end of the last year and say, hey, you know what? Shouldn't we all just be happy we made it to the NFC Championship game? Isn't that enough? Apparently not. <laughs> right? We didn't like, hey, blown call at the end of the game here. But we got to the NFC Championship game. You know how many teams didn't do that? Right? Nobody's here this morning going, hey, we're just thankful we have an NFL team. Right? There's lots of cities like ours that don't. We have one at least. Isn't that enough? No. The only thing that's enough is winning the Super Bowl. That's it. Anything short of that is going to be a problem. That's why Paul can turn around and pick this illustration up and go, Hey, Christian, don't just be satisfied to be in a race. Be in it to win it. Win the race. Now, we get that when it comes to the Super Bowl. And we get that for Olympic athletes who are going for the gold. They're not just like, you know, I know I'm going to finish dead last, but I'm just happy to be at the Olympics. Nobody stands up and says that. But when you pick that up and bring it into the church, and you say something like, you know, it's just not enough that you're just a Christian. The Bible doesn't turn around and celebrate that listen, I, I know this isn't really working really well for you, and, and most people can barely even tell that you're a Christian, but at least you're forgiven. That's not what Paul's sounding like here. He, he's, he's stepping into the Corinthians and saying, hey guys, I've been reviewing the films, and, and you guys stink in some categories. We need to step it up here, right? Don't, don't just play the game. Play it to win, for goodness sake. This stuff matters, it goes into eternity. I mean, Paul's kind of pulling a, you know, what's his name? Vince Lombardi? Right? The great Green Bay coach. He's in your business. And that may or may not feel real pleasant to have somebody stand over your Christian life and saying, you know, the quality of your walk is really, really lacking. But that's what he's saying. And that's how this Bible verse is going to feel. David Jackman and his commentary says paul now adopts another strongly corinthian metaphor that of the greek games and applies it to the gospel lifestyle he's been outlining the victor's garland was not one without training and discipline and hard work by contrast paul looks back to the generation of the children of israel who experienced god's miraculous deliverance from egypt and exodus but who failed to reach the land of promise in spite of all God's blessings. The purpose of this section and of the next is to, listen, move from exhortation and motivation to warning as Paul begins to apply his cross-centered principles to the church at Corinth. Not as optional extras, but as the very essence of godly living. All right, so I want to I posture us to be prepared for when the Bible moves from exhortation to warning. Right, when the Bible goes from feeling like, come on guys, we can do it! To warning you about consequences if you do not. I like the first part. That feels pretty good, right? And he's going to pick this up, right? I mean... They, they, Corinth would have a great, it kind of like we have a New Orleans Saints reference point. These guys would have an Olympic reference point. That, you know, On the little peninsula where they were, there was the, the, these games that were second to the Olympics that happened every four years. But every two years, they had the Isthmian Games. And they were just like the Olympics, and they were held every two years, and people came from all over the world to participate in them. So, you know, so get in your mind... Part jazz fest, part Mardi Gras, part Olympic event. This is, this thing absorbed the whole region that was there. One of the reasons why Paul shows up in Corinth as a tent maker is because he's probably showing up in the shadow of the Isthmian Games, and people are coming from all over the world. They got nowhere to live, so they're going to go to the tent makers and going to get a tent built for them to stay there for the few weeks that they would be there, watching these games and participating in the life of these games. So the games were a big deal. And and they had these heroes and these people that were held up in front of the audience as people who have trained and denied themselves. And they're the best sprinters and the best boxers and the the best javelin throwers. And they've dedicated themselves to this. You know, if I threw out Michael Phelps and Simone uh, Biles, you'd have people who you know they've taken their whole life and devoted, not they don't just show up and get game when the Olympics start. These people have taken every day of their lives. They've restrained their time use. There's lots of things that Michael Phelps or Simone just is never going to do on a daily basis that you and I will do casually. There's lots of things they're never going to eat. Because it gets in the way of what they're after. They're after the gold. And they're going to live life in this very narrow way. They're going to buffet their bodies. They're going to have a strict regimen of rest and exercise and strength building. Paul picks that up and says, Hey, Michael Phelps did all that to get some gold thing hung around his neck that won't last. We do something like that for eternal issues that matter in our own lives, in the glory and kingdom of God, and in other people's lives. If that guy's training and living his life in these narrow ways, because this is about narrowing your life, right? The context of what's coming is going to be, hey, Christians aren't available to do everything that's out there. If you want, to, if you want gold, then Twinkies are not in your diet. <laughs> And wasting all your time and sleeping in late and being available to go hang with the boys and do whatever they're doing, that's not going to be part of your gold medal training. And Paul's going to pick that up and say, and neither is it going to be part of your Christian life. You're going to live your life for something that really, really matters. Now, this, this is going to present a little bit of an interesting challenge to us. And this is what I want to pick up on from this verse. Paul's going to talk about some things to the Corinthians. And he's going to speak to them in a particular tone of voice and with a particular emphasis. And this is where I think it's valuable to learn something that's outside of this passage from this passage. When you pick the Bible up, you're interacting with that a lot. There are moments in which a particular passage written to a particular people is emphasizing a particular thing. And it's not emphasizing other things. It's trying to draw your attention to one thing in particular and may not be touching on some other things while it's doing that. And then there's that tone of voice element. You know, sometimes it's firm and corrective and sometimes it's nurturing like a mother. And all those things are in scripture. So Paul would not have spoken the same way to the Corinthians as he would say to the Thessalonians. Or to the Galatians. If you go read those three books, you'll find three different interactions of Paul interacting with his audience. I think that's true as well. And I think part of what drives that is the audience. Not every audience needs to hear exactly the same thing. And not every audience listens the same way either. And this would be a little bit of a challenge, you know, from the pulpit every week. But here's the reality. We've come in here this morning to hear God's word, but not everybody's come from the same place. Your background's not the same as everybody else here. You come with certain predispositions, certain things that you don't like, certain things that you don't even know what to do with. You don't know how to respond to hearing that said to you. All right. So just imagine in our audience today, uh, there's some who come in here with, with strong moral principles operating in them. They have a a big category for the word good. Being good is a big, big deal. And that's operating in you. And so you bring that in here and you listen for the Bible to talk about being good. That's what you're listening for. You want to hear how it tells you to be good and what's bad. Because good and bad just make sense to you. And you're trying to make the Bible make sense to you. Alright, so then you got another group of folks in here who... You know, you, you've been around morals, but you didn't grow up religiously. There wasn't this hardcore expectation set of rules that you grew up with. You know, so you've just kind of adopted some of the ideas that are in the culture. You know, there's certain things that are legal, certain things that are not, certain decent things that do, certain things that aren't real decent, but you're not freaking out over that stuff. And when you come in here, you don't listen for the Bible to clarify every little rule good and bad. You just kind of got this general feel of, I just want to live a decent life. You know, you're not all freaked out about stuff. You're going to listen to this a little differently today. Some of you come in here like I, you grew up in in New Orleans and you grew up under Catholic influence. Your family was Catholic. You went to Catholic school. You went to Catholic church. And so you got familiar with goodness and religion and, and a lot of rules, Right? So there's a lot of rules that you were introduced to. There were things that you were taught, absolutely not. And you know, your grandmother, your aunt responded to things and freaked out when you kind of were out of bounds in certain categories. So you learn that there's certain ways of doing this that you absolutely have got to do it that way. So you come in here and you're going to listen to this verse and you're going to listen a particular way. Right? Then there's another set. Younger Catholics are more in this category. Uh... That are, are sort of cafeteria style and what it is that you believe and don't believe. Right? You just kind of pick and choose. What, what do I like? What do I not like? So, yeah, I agree with that. Well, I don't, I don't really believe that. And so you've given yourself permission to engage these things very differently. Right? I'm looking out. see Jewish guys here. you got Jewish. You know, you know the variety of people that are in all these categories. Right? you got Jewish people who are very particular about practicing religion. And you got some who are very secular who don't practice religion much at all, but they're both called Jews. Now, This is the audience that's in this room this morning. So I'm going to pick up a Bible verse here that's going to sound a little bit like this. Do everything in your power to run the Christian race so as to finish first and not be disqualified like some have. That's basically what this verse sounds like. So what are you going to do with that? Depending on who you are. The Galatians would have done something very different than the Corinthians were doing. And if you read Galatians, you'll find out why the emphasis sits where it does with the Galatians. But with the Corinthians, the emphasis is a little somewhere else, right? And I'm going to pick up, and this is what I'm going to clarify. What did I call today? I said, save by grace to run a race, All right, That's our title. And I want to clarify belief and behavior today from this passage. Because you're going to see it all over Scripture. Understanding clearly the belief dimension to the Christian life and the behavior dimension to the Christian life because they're both in Scripture. You cannot lighten either one of them, but you must do the right thing with both of them. So therefore, I'm going to need more of the Bible than just the passage I'm looking at, which is always true, by the way. If you're looking at one particular passage trying to solve the argument of the ages... Uh, You cannot solve the argument of the ages theologically from one passage. You need more passages. You you need to spread out into the Bible and find what it says in different places. Because you might find that particular passage is emphasizing one particular thing. So Paul shows up in the Corinthian world and says, you guys are negligent in your mission. You guys are entangled in things that are getting in the way of the testimony of the gospel with other people in your life. You come off as lacking love. Hey, hey, let's, let's step it up here. Let, let's pick up the pace. Let's run the race like it matters. Now, the Galatians were adding rules upon rules to the gospel. They didn't need to be told to pick up the pace and try harder. As a matter of fact, they love that idea for all the wrong reasons. So you don't get Paul picking up a race illustration and giving it to the Galatians. But he does to the Corinthians. And you need to be able to hear both of those, right? I know in this room right now, there are people who love what Galatians teaches because it teaches about justification and it clarifies the doctrine of grace. And you love the doctrine of grace, but you know, you could love the doctrine of grace and ignore the Bible's discussion on behavior because grace is more about belief. I just want to make sure I believe right. I want all Christians to believe right. Did you know the Bible wants all Christians to behave right as well? That's why you get Paul standing up and saying, Hey, it matters how you run the race. Not just that you believe the right thing. But it does matter that you believe the right thing. So let me pull these two categories apart. Because that's what Paul is doing in this section. Clarifying behavior and belief. Here's your little box. Christianity is a belief that results in behavior. Not to be confused with behavior that results in salvation. Do you get the difference? Because if you get these things crossed and you pick your Bible up and read it, you are lost in the wind. Behavior is the result of the grace of God operating in our life. It is not a means to achieving the grace of God. In our life, so this is not an encouragement to hey run the race so that if you finish first, God will accept you. That's not what that verse is about. But it could be tempting to go there because he did mention being disqualified, and he pointed to a whole bunch of other people who apparently didn't cross the finish line. Uh, okay, well, what are we going to do with that? Well, first, let's clarify this. Christianity has a belief category. This is critical. In your outline, I wrote this out. Christianity has defined parameters in the belief category. If you don't believe certain things, you aren't a Christian. No matter what types of behavior you choose to pursue in life. That's a very important qualifier. Because, you know, we hear phrases and we watch somebody's behavior and we say, oh, that's, that's a very Christian thing to do. We notice that somebody is modeling some kind of behavior that we ascribe to Christianity. Do you know there's people who have all kinds of reasons for doing nice things, caring things, loving things, self-sacrificial things. That don't believe anything about Jesus Christ. Who would, who would be nice neighbors for you to live with. Who you might think are, are nicer people than a bunch of the people sitting in this room. How many guys have bumped into the reality that there are nicer people than Christians in the world? I hate when that happens, but it definitely happens. But for the sake of what the scriptures are, are promoting about Christianity, Christianity is, a, is on a mission to present a belief to the world, it's not on a mission to reform aberrant behavior. Although when you believe something, it will impact that. But you can't get these things mixed up. So let me clarify this. Some things that are critical in the belief categories. First, you must believe in the person and work of Christ. You must. Romans chapter 1. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. The, The gospel isn't a good deeds venue The gospel is a message. The gospel has content. The gospel is explaining something to us. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. How do you respond to the gospel? You respond with belief or unbelief. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Acts chapter 4 verse 12. And there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved these are not negotiable issues of the christian life you don't get to maybe not believe that but i'm all about a bunch of the other things that christianity is about i like to help people and you know i'm all for getting water to people in, in locations who don't have water, and feeding the poor, and helping the homeless. I mean, I'm all about that. I just, you know, just kind of don't really believe that Jesus was anybody special. Can, you cannot be a Christian without belief. It's a cornerstone for Christianity. And you can't substitute human goodness for the gospel. Secondly, you must repent be a christian involves repentance which means to believe that your condition in this world is a wrong condition that needs to be turned away from and that god is to be the object of our repentance that's just clearly what the bible teaches you have to come to a place of belief about your own condition that needs the remedy that only God has. And that's why repentance is not turning from one way of life to another. It's turning to God. And I turn to God out of my poverty, out of my brokenness, out of my need for him. That's Christianity. And so if I decide that you know, all my life I've eaten junk food and now I'm going to you know, turn vegan, that's not Repentance. That's a change of lifestyle. If I've been a jerk all my life and then suddenly I decide, you know, I'm going to start treating people better than I have. I'm going to put them first. That's not repentance either. That's just me figuring out a different way to get what I want. I figured out this is alienating people. I think I can get stuff from people. if I, You could have all kinds of reasons. It's got nothing to do with God that don't qualify for repentance. Acts chapter 17 verse 30 says, The times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. He commands them all. You cannot be a Christian without repenting. Which means you're going to have to fall out of love with your own life. If you have a very high opinion of yourself and you think you're a pretty good person and I'm sure it's great that God came to save some of the really obnoxious people in the world, I just didn't need all that help. But I'm cool with following God from time to time. That's all right, that works for me too. That's You don't see yourself right. God commands everybody to repent and if you can't stare at God and say, "Well, God, I don't, you know, I'm Donald Trump, I can't think of anything I need to repent about. Sorry, I had to swipe him. Sometimes you need to put him in his place. (laughs) Even if you like his politics. I can't believe anybody on the human race could stand and think they don't have need for forgiveness. And don't have a need for serious repentance before God. That's what the Bible teaches, right? Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness. By a man whom he has appointed. And this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. All right, so there is a belief in the person and the work of Christ. There's something unique about him. This person is unique. He's not like anybody else. I need to believe that in order to be a Christian. He did a work that no one else has done. He took the penalty of our sin and died in our place. And then he was resurrected from the dead. He has unique credentials like no one else. Acts chapter 20 verse 20 says, Paul explaining his ministry said, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot be a Christian if you don't believe these things, no matter how good of a person you might be. In the belief category, you cannot mix faith in Christ with faith in human merit or achievement. It has consequences. Now, you may not be aware of this, but it has consequences. And this is a particularly helpful verse when you go back to interpret what is Paul saying to the Corinthians about running a race. Is Paul telling these Corinthians, hey, Corinthians, so glad that you are celebrating that Jesus Christ came as the Savior? But you know, if you really want to get to heaven, it's going to depend on the quality of your race. Kind of sounds like he's saying that a little bit, doesn't it? You could be disqualified. Other people have run a race that they never really crossed the finish line. Kind of sounds that way a little bit. When when you read what Galatians emphasizes, you cannot conclude that's what Paul's saying. You cannot. This is why you can't read one Bible passage and decide, well, that's what, the, that's what the Bible says. Well, no, that's what it says in one place that needs to be informed by what it says in other places. So listen to what Paul said to the Galatians. Just behold, Galatians 5 verse 2. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, just, just a, the, the religious Old Testament act of circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you Now, notice the Galatians before you don't know who the Galatians are the Galatians weren't a people who had abandoned Christ they weren't saying Jesus didn't come and he wasn't God and he didn't do anything special for us they weren't atheists They, they they were people who believed all of that they just added something else to it a little religious activity that they said no no you you need to do this Verse 3 says, I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law now. You have been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. These are powerful implications. You cannot, and listen, I I grew up in a setting that acknowledged Christ. I didn't get introduced to the facts of Jesus later in life. I knew that all my life. I acknowledged Christ. I knew I was familiar with what a Savior was. But there were certain things that I had to do along with that. That's exactly what the Galatians were doing. Their certain things might be a little different than our certain things were growing up. But there were just some certain things that you had to do along with believing in all that Jesus had done and accomplished. You, you just need to do this as well. Paul clarifies that. He says, do you realize what you just bit off? He Just the second this becomes about anything that you do, now it's all about what you do. That's what you just did. And you negated Christ. You just turned your back on Christ and said, what you did doesn't matter at all. Well, I've never said that, Keith. Well, you did. You just didn't realize you were saying it. When the Bible turns around and says, if you do this, Jesus Christ is of no benefit to you. Whether you turned around and said, Jesus, you are of no benefit to me or not. The apostle Paul tells you that's what you're saying. You're saying that for you to get to God, it's about what you do. And the second you do that, even if it's a hair's worth of you doing, you have set aside Christ because he either did everything for you to restore you to Christ or he is of no benefit. Because the second you make it about what you do, you fall into another category. Like Galatians 3 verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse every one of them for it's written curse be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law by all things once you say it's about what i do then you pick up a different means of approaching god and you set grace aside and now it's about you abiding by all things that the law requires of you and I don't, I've never met anybody who would be willing to say that they do that. You know, when, when you pick up the idea that, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. Oh, really? Tell me what categories you mean that in. Because that's really what you're saying. You're not saying you're a good person in every category. Of everything God would ever expect of a human being, I get an A. I'm, I'm good. You're not saying that. I know you're not saying that. What you're saying is, I, I have cafeteria styled and picked a half a dozen things of all the things that could be required of me as a human being, I've picked a half a dozen and I score pretty good in all half a dozen of them. Boy, you're in for a big shock. If you want to play by those rules, you don't get to pick a half a dozen. You get everything that the law demands. You have to fulfill it all. So you're either going to want to abandon that completely, but if you pick it up a tiny bit, then you've abandoned Christ completely whether you know that or not the bible clearly says that Romans chapter 9 what shall we say then that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it that is a righteousness that is by faith it's by belief but that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not Succeed in reaching the law? Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, by belief. They pursued it by behavior. So listen, belief and behavior are both in the Bible, but you want to be clear about how they're in the Bible. If you pick up behavior and you decide that's going to be my ticket to righteousness, you have made a grave mistake, so much so that you are now cut off from the benefit of Christ. In your life. So what we believe matters. Remember I started with Christianity is a belief that results in behavior. Not to be confused with behavior that results in salvation. But let me move a little bit here. Let me nudge our belief over into a new category. Belief is attached to a new life. Look in your outline there. We come to genuine faith or belief under the influence of the Spirit of God. How do you and I move from where we were to believing God? Well, he helps us do that. You cannot really experience faith, which is a gift of God, by some intrinsic human ability that is self-generated. God must be the animator of our faith. And, this is where this becomes... Interestingly related to behavior. And the same animating force, the Holy Spirit, that imparts to us faith, also imparts to us his life. And thus we are born again, which has everything to do with our behavior. See, belief and behavior are interestingly related in Scripture. Right? Look in Ephesians chapter 2 with me here. I, I need to unpack this verse to illustrate this. And again, I'm, I'm part of the reason why I'm doing this is uh, if you are trying to figure out how to relate to statements of belief and how to relate to statements of behavior in Scripture, this is the kind of exercise you should be doing. Right? You should be picking up the Scriptures in a number of places to see what is the Bible saying about these things so that I can accurately understand it. And not just reading... One section from Paul picking up an Olympic race and telling you, hey, get on about it or be disqualified. Oh, well, I guess that means you can lose your salvation. And I guess that means it really is about what I do and how good I am. Well, I read it right there in Corinthians. Uh, okay, I, I get what you read. It's, it's real, along with everything else that speaks about these two categories. So, this is how you interpret a passage. I know I'm taking you outside of Corinthians, but I think it's a vital thing for us to be careful that we're doing. So, here, here's what we learn about this race from Ephesians chapter 2. Here are the participants in this race that Paul is encouraging. <clears throat> chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience. Among whom we all, every one of us, once lived in the passions of our flesh. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That was... Every one of our starting condition. I right, said, so do we want to talk about a race at this point? I don't know about you, but dead people don't run real well. But right? what, what the Bible doesn't teach is that what God is doing, and this is, you know, the twisted version of what Paul is saying to the Corinthians, is God is reaching into the world and get, getting people that are slow and helping them to become fast in the race. Run the race. I'll teach you some ideas and some techniques, and you can go from being a slow runner to a fast runner. You might even be an Olympic runner one day. Okay, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches God reaches into the world and grabs dead people. Dead people don't run well. I don't know. Is this news for anybody? (laughs) They don't do much of anything well. Except be alive to things that are dead. Which is what Paul describes. They have passions. But not for God. For themselves. And for sin. And for corruption. They follow. But not God. They follow the ruler of this world. So this is the condition. So you don't bring first corinthians 9 to lost people and say hey you better get running you better get running because you know you're going to stand before god and you better have run this race well that person needs to hear something about what they need to believe not how they need to behave be careful what you're presenting to people and when you get around people who run a bad race Who don't race well and don't look like they're interested in the race. And they're sloppy and they're not even staying on course. Don't sit down and teach them the race rules. Teach them what to believe about the gospel. They don't need rules that dead people can't follow. They need life. So this is where God starts. So the the audience Paul is talking to already has life. Otherwise, it can't run the race, period. And we learn that from Paul in another place outside of First Corinthians chapter 9. We can find it in Corinthians as well, by the way, chapter 3 and other places, chapter 5. All right. Verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ by grace. You have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ. New life has come, that's what starts the race. In the very instance of our belief, which is under the influence of the Holy Spirit causing that belief in the first place, a new life has come. And that new life is going to have an impact on us. I know mean, you know that there's lots of people out there that are already running the religious race. Who don't have life. Oh, I was doing that for a good portion of my life. I didn't know God. I didn't have the Holy Spirit living in me, but I had certain religious activities that I I required of myself. I was running the race. I was buffeting my body at some level, but I didn't have life. Right? This is the same conversation Jesus has with Nicodemus, the Pharisee. Right? He's a man running the race. John chapter three. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you've come from God as a teacher. No one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus doesn't need a lesson in behavior at this moment. Nicodemus needs to believe something that he has not understood. And Jesus, and this is revealed earlier in John, the gospel chapter one, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, there is a receiving and a believing that go hand in hand. This life comes to us in the believing connection. He gave the right to become children of God who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. God. Be careful what we do with belief and behavior. And looking in verse 8, chapter 2. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works that no one may boast how did you and I get in the race? Not by outrunning everybody else. Not by taking up Paul's admonition to be Olympic athletes. And, and finally, finally, I'm in the Olympics, man. I've trained so hard. I am so dedicated to God. That I'm in now, finally. Okay, you can't possibly interpret that passage that way. Because we just heard that we're in by the grace of God. And even the faith, the belief that's going to one day produce behavior even the belief is a gift from God you and I couldn't even put that together we don't even know how to fill out the form to apply for the race (laughs) God would have to do that for us as well but the Bible's not silent about behavior in the presence of gracious belief look at the next verse For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. This is the race. They're saved by grace to run a race. They should both be happening in the life of a believer, and Paul is concerned for the Corinthians. When he doesn't see the connection between belief and behavior. And this is where the passage gets uncomfortable. Because every one of us, like the Corinthians, should be concerned as well where there is not an agreement between belief and behavior. Our life lacks liveliness and impact of the life that we have received the works that were created for us that we would walk in them don't seem to be getting walked out and I don't seem to want that that doesn't seem to matter to me I'm not bothered when I don't that's a problem that's a problem Paul's trying to address with these Corinthians Christianity has a behavior category Behavior matters. You cannot be here today as a specialist in the doctrine of grace. And because you understand justification gets polluted, justification gets polluted by introducing works into it. And you're absolutely right to say that. That is absolutely true. Paul is having a justification conversation. That's his emphasis to the Galatians. Paul is not having a justification conversation with the Corinthians. He's having a sanctification conversation with them. He's talking about the way that they live out their faith. He's talking about the race that they have become part of by grace. He's not trying to clarify how you get into Christ with them. He's examining the quality of life that's supposed to be produced by what they have believed. John Piper says it this way. The race of life has eternal consequences. Not because grace is nullified by the way we run, but because grace is verified by the way we run. Quote, by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. I labored, I ran, I fought more exceedingly than all. It was not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Paul's running did not nullify the purpose of grace, it verified the power of grace. Eternal life hangs on the way we run and the way we fight, not because salvation is based on the merit of works, but because faith without works is dead. This is a warning. This is Paul drawing attention. And because behavior in person's lives is in question. He is going to draw questions about belief. And that's an uncomfortable moment. And it's an unavoidable moment. It is in scripture. Life is a proving ground of whether faith is alive or dead. A proving ground for whom we trust He goes on and says, the New Testament is full of ways to say this. Strive to enter by the narrow gate. Labor for the food that endures to eternal life. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for we shall reap if we do not faint. Redeem the time, for the days are evil. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Christ gave himself to purify himself a people zealous for good deeds. Show earnestness in realizing the full assurance of hope to the end. Love one another earnestly from the heart. Strive, labor, abound, be zealous, be earnest. Run like the winner runs. Be done with half-heartedness and laziness and lukewarmness. Christ has laid hold on you for this very thing. You do not do it. In your own strength, you strive and labor and abound and love in the strength that he supplies, so that in everything he gets the glory and this, is, this is where this passage from Paul can can get uncomfortable because it it 's quality control it 's Paul raising questions about What what does a lack of behavior reveal to us? According to the Bible, a lack of behavior is associated with how the living God is functioning in a living way in a human being. And if that's sparse or scarce, or I don't have an appetite for it, or it's uninteresting, I'm not motivated by that, then you have legitimate concerns to ask whether you have that life or not. Listen, Nicodemus was running a race without life. But if you met him, you might find him to be a very moral person, doing good things, engaged in society, caring for the needs of the poor and the down and out, philanthropic. Using his energy for the betterment of others in society. You might be very impressed with the choices and the behavior of his life. But Jesus turned to him and said, your problem though is you're lifeless. You don't have life. And Paul raises that concern for the Corinthians as well. And, and it is uncomfortable. Paul gets to the end of his life in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And he's got comments to make on behavior. And unbelief. Tells Timothy, I have fought, fought the good fight. I've been in a battle. There's been boxing and training and sweat. And I've been in the gym hours and hours. I've lived my life in a narrow corridor. I haven't avoided fights. I haven't run like a chicken. I haven't just been into what I'm into. And I don't want to do anything hard. I've fought, Timothy. My whole life has been a battle that I've lived. I've finished the race. I didn't get sidetracked. I didn't start strong and then suddenly decide, I don't know if I like this anymore. I don't know if this Christianity thing, you know, it doesn't feel like it used to feel, you know, it's just not as rewarding as it once was. Well, there's some other stuff over here that looks like, you know, and that's still good over. I think I'm going to go to do this over here now. No, Paul says, no, I, don't. I started the race. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Did he achieve the faith? Is that what you get at the finish line? You cross the finish line and finally now you get grace and faith from God. Is that how this works? No, no. Paul started the race because God's grace imparted faith to him. But when he says he crosses the finish line with that faith, he is making quite a statement about you and I. He says, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. This is that Olympic platform ceremony moment where the band plays and a presentation is made about those who have won the medals. And Paul says, there's laid up for me a moment when I will stand on the platform and the reward of righteousness will be laid upon me. Anybody here thinking that's because regardless of whether Jesus Christ ever exists or not, Paul ran a really impressive race. (laughs) that's nowhere near what Paul is saying at the end of his life. I am what I am by the grace of God, is what Paul said about his life. And that grace did not prove in vain. It took me all the way to the end. And it stayed alive all the way to the end. In your outline I put, there is an important implication here that the faith or the belief being described in the Bible is not a momentary decision that is disconnected from future behavior. The future behavior acts as a witness and presents convincing evidence that what, has ex- what was experienced in your belief was truly real and from the Holy Spirit. Kurt, you can come back up. You know, it's not uncommon to hear Christians tell their story and they've got a story that'll say something about, you know, I remember when I walked an aisle and I was 12 and where I lived this life and at 20 years old, I, I got saved and, and, and there's, a, there's this moment that has a check mark next to it. And, that, that, and that's, that's a piece of our story. That's a valid piece of our story. But if, if you want an accurate understanding of what salvation really is, stand right now from where you are, gaze all the way back to where that check mark is, and search your life in between. Did that show up in a living way all along the way? Because if it did not... I'm not saying, you know, this is not a message that's trying to... Again, I'm emphasizing something, right? You get this this morning? What I'm not emphasizing is, do Christians ever fall short? Do Christians ever struggle? Do they ever steer off course? Do they ever sin? Yeah, yeah, we're going to get to that coming up in the next chapter. But I'm not talking about that right now. So please don't sit there and say, wait, wait, wait. So are you saying that all the way back to when that check mark is, did I ever veer off? Did I ever doubt? Did I ever do anything wrong? Okay. Okay. This is a message about one particular thing. Don't do that to this message. You know better than that. You know you all screw up and I screw up. But that doesn't change my understanding of my connection with God. I acknowledge that. But when you have lost a sense of conviction, passion, interest, guidance, priority... You're running an aimless race. Your life really has very little to do with God and his kingdom and what he's about and what brings glory to him. And you look back over your life. I don't know what to tell you to call that thing that you put a check mark next to, but you don't know what to call it either. That's right, amen. Because imagine this, if the day you put that check mark, right, we run back to this moment. Maybe you were in a church service like this, whether you small group at a college university and something happened and you you said yeah and you checked this thing off see according to the bible the reason you checked it off was because the spirit of god was at work in you the same god who was going to now take up his dwelling place in you every day for the rest of your life with his power and you're still going to fall down and skin your knee and have problems and have doubts and fears but that's going to get met by the power of god renewing and strengthening and adjusting. And so you can stand now looking back over, yeah, since that day, life has been in me. If you can't find that life, then what you need to to question is not, not even so much whether you lost something along the way, is what did you ever have in the first place? Because the real problem is, The life that keeps showing up is the life that made you say yes to Christ in the first place. It wasn't you of yourself with your own power. You were dead. You remember the dead people we talked about? right? You didn't suddenly generate your own life and passion for God and say, Oh, finally, because of my intellect... And my moral persuasion, I want to put a check in the box. And then maybe God will show up. No, 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 no. The mere fact that you wanted to check the box is because God was at work in you. That's the only reason why you check the box. Dead people don't check boxes. So if really what went off in you was the life of God coming to you, your life is telling that story. And like the Apostle Paul, you'll get all the way to the end and you'll say, I finished the course. I kept the faith. That's how you'll know it was real. So this morning, there's a, a couple of categories I want to emphasize. We're talking about emphasis this morning. In this belief and behavior category. First, have you believed and received the life of God? And that's the most important step, right? Is when faith comes into my heart and belief joins me to the life of God. Have have I done that? Have I come to a place where I've got to check the box at some point? I've got to give my life i've got to believe in the person and work of christ i've got to repent and turn from me being the source and the hope in my way or the world's way or my best friend's way or anybody else's way i'm gonna have to turn to god and in that moment god is at work and life is filling my existence do you have that box in your story Listen, if you don't, this morning I'm going to give you a chance to respond to saying, yes, I, God, that, I, I want my belief in you that way. I want that. So just think about that for a moment before I ask you to check your box. But Paul's not so much engaging the Corinthians to get them to check their box. He's engaging people who, having believed, are needing some behavior help. they need to be asked the question, are you running your life like an Olympic athlete? Have you embraced narrowing your life for the sake of the gospel? Have you given up freedoms? Because that's where the context of this passage comes from, right? Paul making his arguments for him not exercising his own freedoms and other people laying theirs down for the sake of the gospel. Is there something in you that wants something of God's glory and God's kingdom become so bad that you'll be inconvenienced for it. More than that, you'll train like an Olympic athlete for this prize that's more valuable than anything else in life. So Paul pulls alongside some believers and the reason why he's having this conversation is because they need him to have this conversation with them. They need to be sobered. They need to hear something that does make them sound like, wait, you you you're saying I can be disqualified? Listen, Paul goes so far to make this point, and I'll pick this up some next week, but Paul goes so far to make this point about disqualification that he provides an example that they can relate to in the Old Testament Israelites. And he paints quite a picture of them. They ate spiritual food. They drank spiritual drink. Christ was among them. They followed Moses together. Yet they are not all Israel who is descendants from Israel, are they? But those who are of faith. So this is a moment. Paul introduces this moment. This is an uncomfortable moment. Where Paul goes from, let's be Michael Phelps. To, if you don't have an interest in that, be warned. You might not really belong to God. You you may be disqualified. And that's disturbing. But... That's what he does to them. So can I just say this before I pray for us? I have have seen a concerning number of media type Christians lose their faith in the recent months. I've heard a concerning number of Christians that aren't media types, they're just us who suddenly are not sure about what they believe. Not sure they're a Christian, even. i want to talk about next, you know, tune in next week because I think you're going to find out something interesting that's in the rest of these passages that explains some other reason to me why all of a sudden a person who's lived as a Christian for years decides, I'm not sure I'm a Christian. Right, I think there's more operating there than just simple Confusion. But let's just suppose you are here and you're not sure you're a Christian. You know what disturbs me about you saying that is how at peace you are about it. If you're here this morning and you're not sure you're a Christian and you somehow think you were at one point or you grew up that way, you should be alarmed. This shouldn't be a conversation piece that's just sort of, yeah, other people kind of going through that too. Paul warns you here. You could be disqualified. Do you understand you could have no future with God? Does that concern you at all? You just kind of all of a sudden, well, I'm not even sure I'm a Christian. Do you know what the alternative is? Don't get comfortable with that. If you are in that place, I hope you itch all over. I hope something in you says I-, I need to deal with this. I need to find out what the source of it is. I need to examine my own life and my own heart to figure out why am I okay with that? Well, you'll hear next week. There's this little thing called idolatry. I- I'm almost—I mean, I can't say this absolute, but I'm pretty close to being able to say—I don't know if I've met a person who says that they've become unsure about their faith who doesn't have something else in their life that they really, really want. See people who want to pursue a life that's got certain kinds of pleasures in it out of bounds activity want to get rid of the marriage that they're in and the way they do that is well, i'm not really sure i'm a christian well you know what i'm really sure about i'm really sure you got something else in your life so if you're here this morning you're not really sure you're a christian Is that because there's something else that you really, really want? And if that's the case, you want that so much that you don't want God, you should be very concerned. Very concerned. Don't make friends with those feelings. Don't have casual conversations about it. That's disturbing. And you should be warned. This is not just a a Joel Osteen inspirational book. Paul, in one sentence, goes from, let's all be Michael Phelps, to you could be disqualified in one passage and that's sobering isn't it and he wanted us to be sobered by that so this is where I said in the beginning you might not like the way this feels but you need to see it in the bible warnings are intended to feel like warnings they're not intended to feel like oh that doesn't really mean that no 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 they're intended to feel like it really does mean that even it makes you go well theologically I'm not quite sure I understand that could be a warning Well, as long as it makes you shake, it's doing what it's supposed to be doing. Whether you can explain it fully or not. Let's stand up together. Oh Lord, thank you for showing up in the midst of our lives as you did through the Apostle Paul in the midst of the Corinthian lives. Or they needed to hear something, we are here today because we need to hear something. Father, I pray for grace now that would help us to respond to the some things that we're hearing. God, will we respond? Will we? engage what we feel right now in this moment what you have led us to through your word what your spirit is doing in our midst will we respond to that if you're here this morning and and you're a person here familiar with a lot of these things that are in the bible but you got no check box in your past don't know a moment when your belief toward the person and work of christ and your repentance Away from yourself to God brought new life that you have seen operating in you since that day. If you are here this morning and you don't have that experience, but you'd like to have that experience, you can have that. You can have it right now. You can repent right now. Turn to God right now, and I invite you to do that right now. Have a conversation with him. God is a listening God. Own the fact that perhaps you've lived life your own way, your own style, and your own pace for your own reasons. And you're here this morning to say, God, I, I haven't done it your way. I haven't followed you. I, I haven't pursued you. God, I, I, I need to repent. I turn from that. And believe this morning. Believe what? Believe in the person. And the work of Jesus Christ. Believe in him this morning. Put your faith in him this morning. Listen, if you're here and that in in any way feels like something you're interested in doing, it's because God's at work in your heart. This God who loves you has come to find you this morning. But what you do next is going to feel like your decision. Whether you will entrust your life to Jesus Christ. give you righteousness to make you right with god to restore your life to him and to give you the holy spirit to live his life in you if you want that tell god you want that repent and turn to god in faith and receive from him this morning forgiveness cleansing tell god you want that right now god will take you up on your heart's desire he will come by his spirit to take up his life in you from this day forward all the way to the end. The main thing in this passage this morning is Paul speaking to believers, indifferent believers, casual believers believers wandering through the race they're not intended there's nothing driving them towards a finish line the prize well they've been distracted from the prize there's too many other priorities there's too many other things that are in their life paul is reaching out to that audience god is reaching out this morning to that audience here And I believe God has grace for us. He has grace to run the race that he has given to us. And I want folks to receive grace this morning. And I want you to, to respond this morning. Because probably getting off track in the race, neglecting the race, not training for the race, just casually happens over time. And you're aware that you're just in a place right now that's not a good place. You're not running this race. But God God this morning has drawn near to you to give you grace to run that race. So I, I, I want you to be able to be prayed for this morning. I want this morning to change your course. I want you to get something from God. So if you're here this morning, you feel like God's calling you this morning to get in the race, to live like an Olympic athlete, to live aimed at that goal the high prize of the upward call of God in Christ. If that's what God's doing in you this morning, I, I want to ask you to come receive prayer. I want, I want God to impart power in your life. So come from where you are. Go ahead and make your way forward. and Let's gather around you in prayer. Let's identify with these folks i think so many of us will find ourselves and have found ourselves in these places. we just lack motivation we just have run out of energy we just found ourselves absorbed in a hundred things and the last time we were near god or experienced god or were affected by god just too long ago and that's what we feel like we're at listen i can promise you this the second you walk out of here the vortex that sucked you into it, it's going to suck you right back in you won't even get to your car But I believe this morning God is going to interrupt that. I believe the reason why the Apostle Paul preaches this to the Corinthians is because God is going to make some Olympic athletes to have a new story. So anybody else, if you want? God, to this morning to meet with you. Here's what I'd like to ask, and I know there's more folks here than this. Listen, this drives me nuts, all right? This drives me nuts as a pastor. This is is a waste of everybody's time. When you're in a place like this and you're just going to walk out of here and stay in that place, I'm sorry, it just bugs me. So here's what I'd like to ask. I'd like to ask folks to come and pray for these guys. Here's who I'd like for you to be. People That God has brought you out of a dry season in your life. You've experienced that. You've been in a place where you felt wayward, where you felt like I just not there's not something fresh and powerful happening from God. And you just you, you remember those days. And God stepped into your moment. You got a different story now going on than what you did back then. I want you to come pray for these guys. And so If that's you, could you come make your way forward? Just ask the Lord to lead you to any of these folks that are standing up here so that the faith and the grace and the power of God that has touched your life would touch their lives as well. We're going to close with a song. Let Kurt lead us. Let me just close us in prayer. Lord, I thank you for moments where you just disturb a peace that should never have been peace to us. Where you come and you make us feel awkward and we feel like we've fallen short, maybe even we feel condemned a little bit. Lord, whatever those feelings are, Lord, those feelings that create a conversation with you are better than leaving us where we were. Thank you, Lord, for disturbing us with false. Peace locations that we drift into. Thank you for coming into those places and rattling our cage. And we're grateful that you love us enough to do that. We're grateful that your word sounds a certain way when we need it to sound a certain way. So, God, this morning, would you meet us as a church? Oh, God, that we would be Olympic competitors. God, that what we do on a daily basis buffets our bodies narrows our world constrains us for that which is eternal to put off and to put on the things that truly matter in light of eternity god that we might run the race as though we're after gold not just christians because we just wanted to avoid hell god we're after something that matters to you your passions are ours we love the things you love And we're going after the things that you're going after, God. Would you make us achieve those things by your power and grace for your glory? God, be at work in our midst to do that, we pray.